It's your pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond, and you are listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show, we're going to talk about the big news of the week, news of the day, news of the year. Yusuf Nurkic is coming back, and we know when. Plus, the Blazers season is headed in the wrong direction, so we'll spend a little time talking about them playing poorly. But let's start with the good news, the big news. Nurk Watch officially has a date. Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports broke the news. Yusuf Nurkic is planning to come back March 15th when the Blazers host the Houston Rockets, an afternoon game on ABC on March 15th. It's a big deal. We finally know. And this makes sense when you consider everything else we knew about sort of what Nurkic would need to return. He told uh, Jason Quick for The Athletic previously that basically the biggest hurdle to him coming back was practices. Well, the Blazers are probably going to practice at least twice this week. They had Sunday off following a back-to-back. Uh, NFL, NFL, NBA teams don't practice uh, after back-to-backs. It, it, Actually, Jim, Bo- Jim Boylan did it once, and the Bulls had a mutiny. But it's it's just not something they do. So even with the day off, that was never going to be a practice day. It's not how it works. But they will practice Monday. While you're listening to this, they very well could be on the practice court right now. And Yusuf Nurkic almost assuredly will join them in whatever they might do. I can't imagine they do a lot of physical stuff, but I imagine Nurk will get in a real workout. Um, uh, They'll want him to get hit. They'll want him to run. They'll want him to do things uh, that might not involve the rest of the Blazers starters, but certainly the end of the bench will be out there getting up and down with him, I imagine. The Blazers also have two days off on Friday the 13th and the following day, Saturday the 14th, prior to that game against the Rockets. You would assume they don't practice both days um, just because they don't practice that much, period. There's a chance that Nurkic practices both those days, but sort of a formal practice with the rest of his teammates will likely be either, either that Friday or Saturday, not both. If I had to guess, it'll be that Saturday prior to the game. That'll give Nurk time to get back out on the court. I think... I don't even think. This is the biggest news. This is the biggest story of the Blazers season with it. it's been on Nurk Watch. I think it's really important for him to get out there and play games just for the mental hurdle. You don't want him to sit out 17 months from that injury and have him try to come back in October and play NBA basketball. It's so much better for him to come back this year, get out on the court, prove he can can run up and down and do do things that look like basketball, get hit, fall down, uh, you know play a couple possessions well, play a couple possessions poorly, do all the just sort of basketball things, do basketball things. I don't, I imagine he'll be on a pretty strict minutes restriction to to begin with. I would assume that he plays about 15 or less minutes a night. Uh, But this is, and I'll talk about this more in the second segment. There is there are not a lot of compelling reasons to watch the end of this Blazers season. They look like they're headed in the wrong direction. This is a compelling reason. Nurk, it's probably too late for Nurk to save the season. Uh, the rest of his teammates, the rest of the roster probably uh, didn't allow him to that opportunity to come in and save the season. But he did allow you to, he does allow the sort of viewing public, you and I, to get a sense of what he might be like, where he's at. Um, 
physically, I think it'll be, it, we won't get as much info right away. Um, you know, he's a year removed from the injury. He got injured on March 25th. It's basically uh, a full calendar year later when he returns on March 15th. So I don't think the early games of Nurk, and depending on how often they allow him to play, uh, you know, whether, whether his restrictions are there, we we might not get a ton of data. But what we will get is sort of maybe to get a gauge on where he's at mentally and how much it means to him just to play basketball again, whether um, him getting past that hurdle and hopefully him being able to process what it means to get over that hurdle publicly, I think is one of the, will be one of the real interesting stories of the remainder of of the season. I don't expect him to be awesome. Uh, If you've listened to this podcast, you know that I think he was one of the 30 best players in the NBA last year. I think he was the Blazers second best player, second most impactful player. Certainly Uh, he's, an incredible talent, the key to their future. I don't think it's fair to consider him a key to their present because I think that ship may have sailed. But getting him back out on the floor is important, even if it doesn't impact a playoff push, um, getting the Blazers the eighth seed in the West, even if it's just him getting out there and playing a handful of games, playing you know nine NBA minutes a night getting him going up against other NBA players in a competitive atmosphere is important. It's It'll be compelling. I think uh, it's it'll be particularly interesting him having his debut against the Rockets, who don't have any players on their roster taller than 6'9". Well, they do. They have T- Tyson Chandler's on the roster. Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein's on the roster, but those dudes don't play. Uh, they, don't, they don't play anybody taller than 6'9". So Nurk isn't going to go against a real NBA center in his debut. That'll be interesting, and it'll, it might in a um, interesting way, allow him to them to dump the ball in the post, and we'll see real Nurkic post ups and get to see if he is he if he can bully little guys. A real test right away. But like I said, I the on court stuff I feel like is a weird way. Will be maybe an unfair way to judge Nurkic. I think uh, I I am real. What I'm curious to learn from this sort of. Uh, what what comes of his return is how he feels mentally, what it means to the team to see him back out there, and if this can be a be a real positive down the stretch of the season. Because I don't think the Blazers have a lot of real positives left. I was hopeful the last time I recorded this podcast. You'll recall that the last segment, if you're listening to these in order, was the reason that the Blazers should have hope. Well, guess what? I think they kind of dashed those hopes by getting rocked. In two games against the Suns and the Kings. That's what I want to talk about in the second segment. What went wrong there and where the Blazers are at. So we'll pause Nurk Watch and we'll talk about the actual basketball that happened out on the court. Nurk Watch isn't going anywhere though. It's 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 only just begun. We have a firm date. Yusuf Nurkic, March 15th. Get excited. Now we gotta shift gears a little bit and talk about things that happened on the basketball court. Not things that will happen in a week on the basketball court. But before we get there, I want to tell you about Indeed. When you start your hiring process, you may have questions. Such as, will you find good candidates to choose from? What about education and experience? And how will you know you've made the right hire? Well, Indeed is here to help. Millions of great candidates use Indeed every day to find their next opportunity, and you can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help create your shortlist of applicants, and you can do it fast. Also, 
You can add skills tests to your job post so you can be confident in your applicant's abilities. Their library of more than 50 skills tests ranges from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. Indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. So you can post a job today at Indeed.com slash LockedOn and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's Indeed.com slash LockedOn, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Offer valid through March 31st, 2020. Okay. So we talked Nurkic. March 15th is going to be a big day for the Blazers. But probably not because there'll be an exciting playoff hunt against another Western Conference team, because unfortunately they got routed in back-to-back games against other scuffling teams in the West. The Kings very well might make the playoffs. I certainly don't think they will. The Suns are not going to make the playoffs. They're just a bad team. The Blazers lost 127-117 in Phoenix on Friday night. They followed that with a 123-111 loss to the Kings in the Moda Center on Saturday. If you are a new listener, let me tell you here. Let me stop you here. I don't really do recaps on this podcast. I'm not going to recap the games. I figure if you listen to me, you saw the game. You don't need a play-by-play of what you just saw. If you didn't see the games, there are other places I'm sure that recap the games for you. That is available. What I want to talk about is what the games mean. And in any case, me going through a play-by-play of Aaron Baines hitting nine three-pointers and Bogdan Bogdanovich just scoring at will against the Blazers doesn't seem like a particularly fun podcast segment for me or you or anyone but that one Aaron Baines enthusiast Twitter account. So let's skip the re- let's skip the recaps. I don't I always skip the recaps but we're still skipping them here. Here's what these games mean. The Blazers were in this stretch where they were going to play 7 consecutive games against team with losing teams with losing records. They started off that stretch with a horrific loss to a very bad Atlanta Hawks team in Atlanta where they got run out the gym. They bounced back, won a couple games, looked like they're headed in the right, headed in the right direction or headed at least in towards the right direction, but they had a real opportunity. Three more games against teams with losing records, Phoenix, Sacramento, Phoenix, and then a Thursday meeting with the Memphis Grizzlies. The Blazers were heading into that stretch three and a half games back of Memphis. They entered the uh, All-Star break three games back of Memphis. They hadn't played very well in the All-Star break. They went two and four without Damian Lillard in the lineup, but They hadn't lost any ground, and they still had this cushy part of their schedule. They had a chance to make a move. Uh, The other teams really hadn't, hadn't, the Grizzlies had dealt with some injuries and really hadn't pulled away. I personally, I thought the Pelicans were going to be further along than they were, but they've dropped a couple games against, in games that I didn't think they would lose. The Spurs have faded. The Blazers were still in this nice position heading into these games in Phoenix and Sacramento. This team fancies itself a playoff type team. They got Damian Lillard back. They pretty handily beat a bad Wizards team and had a back a winnable back to back. And they got punked. 
I don't think, like I said, I don't want to recap the games, but two incredibly slow starts where you give up monster quarters, monster halves, Phoenix 77 in the first half, Sacramento 40 in the first quarter, 100 by at the end of three quarters, just hemorrhaging points. I'll talk about that more in the third segment, specifically what's up, what I think is up with this defense. Spoiler, they don't have many good defensive players. But this was just a blown opportunity. And as I sort of alluded to in the first segment, I thought if the Blazers were going to make their move, they were going to make it this week. I thought this was a make-or-break stretch for for them. And to me, it seems like they broke it. They're not totally out of it. Like, the math doesn't say they're out of it. And quite frankly, you talk to Damian Lillard and he never thinks they're out of it. He is a relentless optimist. So if you're looking for someone who still thinks they got it, find a Dame soundbite because he still thinks they got it. Right now, though, the Blazers are in 11th place. They're four and a half back of Memphis. They haven't made any ground during the softest part of their closing schedule. After this stretch, after the... uh, Memphis game on Thursday, things get harder, beginning with Yusuf Nurkic's return against a good Rockets team. Then it's the Mavericks. Then, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead looking at the schedule and stuff, but a, a, t- a winnable game against the Timberwolves, and then a six-game road trip. This was the chance to make up ground. And instead, they not only lost, they lost in a way that just makes them look... It just doesn't... It didn't inspire, hey, if we got a couple bounces. This was... We're playing two games against bad teams, and they ran uh, they ran up the score on us. I don't think the final score necessarily represents what was happening in these games necessarily. I don't think they were as competitive as uh, you know fifteen point losses. These were beatdowns. When CJ McCollum shoved Alex Len in that game on Saturday night, he shoved him because Alex Len was setting a moving screen, and also the Blazers were down twenty getting punked on their home floor. He was pissed because the season was slipping away. He was probably pissed at the moving screen too, but I thought that encapsulated where this team is. The most fight they showed was during an actual shoving match. It's a real bummer. Feels like this is a lost season, one that should have put them back in the playoff picture. I don't. I was never on board with this team being a championship team. Check the archives if you don't believe me. But I was on board with this being a very good team, like a team that could win game, 40-some games, 45-plus games, battle for home court advantage. Beyond the top two teams in the West, that opportunity was still there, but injuries derailed the season, and then... All of the chances, the seven-game stretch where the Blazers could have ripped off, you know, gone six and one or five and two, has started not only with losses, but some troubling losses. The loss in Atlanta was when, at least judging by the people who tweet at me on uh, about this podcast, was, was kind of the time when everyone decided to let go of the rope. When they said, this team isn't going anywhere. They inspired a little bit of hope with convincing wins over Orlando and Washington. Not particularly good teams, but you beat beating bad teams is part of the formula. That's how you that's how they get where they want to go. They play two more teams with losing records and get punked. I think it's over for them. 
I don't think this is a playoff team. I could be wrong. Nurk come back and save the season. Uh, Damian Lowe's relentless optimism and also incredible basketball abilities could really win out. But I think they're just, I think it's over. And I think it's over because they had their chance this weekend and they didn't show up for it. I don't mean effort-wise necessarily. I want to talk about that in the third segment. I don't think the Blazers like didn't play hard. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I just don't think they played well. I think they played like crap when they needed to play well, and they didn't. It was as much an ability issue as an effort issue. They just didn't have it. And one of the reasons that they didn't have is because their defense isn't good. And that's what I want to talk about in the third segment. What I have seen from the Blazers' messy defense, because I think some specific observations uh, just can maybe help put into context what we've seen out on the court. So stick with me. We'll talk... Blazers defensive woes to close out the show. All right. So we talked Nurk Watch. Nurk Watch will continue. Don't give up on it. He's the real hope for the season. We talked about the Blazers troubling back-to-back losses against the Phoenix Suns and Sacramento Kings. This was a chance for them to make their move. Instead, they, they slid the other way. And one of the reasons they slid the other way is because they just can't stop anyone. So what I want to talk about is some specific observations about the Blazers' defense. I feel like this has been a question that's come up a handful of times from listeners, and I don't think I've addressed it like super specifically. It doesn't seem fair to spend a full three segments of the show on it to say the Blazers don't have very many good defensive players. We don't need 22 minutes of that. If you want 22 minutes of that, tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich. I'll give you 22 minutes on it. I'll deliver whatever the people want. But I think it's worth talking about it with some specifics. So when Aaron Baines hit nine three-pointers, I think it's easy to say, yo, Hassan Whiteside, can you please leave the paint and go guard someone around the perimeter? But I don't always think that was the problem in that game. And that's why I think particularly that performance, the Kings in the, the Kings game in the same way, but particularly the game against Phoenix, I think it illustrates that the Blazers' defensive woes are myriad. They're up and down the roster. It is not only that Hassan Whiteside is very tentative to come out of the paint and not super mobile. One of their other issues is the Blazers just don't keep ball handlers in front of them on the perimeter. So the first guy gets past his man. The second guy helps. That guy might even be Hassan because he's sort of that natural help defender. You swing the ball out to the perimeter and someone hits a three. Additionally, I think the Blazers don't communicate particularly well on defense because they they have a lot of guys who just aren't naturally good de- high-level defenders. So you'll see a miscommunication on a switch maybe between CJ McCollum and Trevor Ariza, then they're scrambling to recover the sort of help the helper doesn't come quick enough because their communication is poor and they give up an easy bucket. So there's there's other personnel things beyond Hassan Whiteside. Uh, Carmelo Anthony is a slow 35-year-old who's never been a good defensive player. He's competitive if you go right at him, but in terms of covering space and covering up holes for teammates, particularly when they're doing things like letting that first ball handler get past him, that's not his strength and he can get picked on. He's not a rim protector. 
you know, probably their second best rim protector who plays regularly is 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 maybe Trevor Ariza, just in terms of like f- making things hard for guys around the rim. But he's being tasked with guarding the best perimeter player. He's the guy sort of trailing the play in most situations, either trying to uh, come up with what the Blazers refer to as a rear view contest, you know, chasing someone from behind on pick and rolls and trying to bother them from behind. Uh, on shot attempts, he's not around the rim or in those help positions. He's like in the main action. Damon CJ are people who compete on defense for the most part. Not always. They have their nights when they don't compete. I think there's been a more than a handful of games when one or both of them just has been bad, straight up bad defensively because they're not locked in. But for the most part, they play hard. They're just, they're not super long. They're not super rangy. Um, to use kind of a buzzword, they're not super switchy. They can guard a specific type of player, but they get caught somewhere else. They're not good at it. So those are all the all of the issues. I think it's uh, it's personnel stuff with the that the specific group. Um, it's the shallowness of the roster. They basically just have to play their starting five because uh, you go deeper into the bench, they're not good. They don't have options to kind of shore up defensively, make defensive subs. Uh, Hassan Whiteside is good at very good at one part of defense and mostly bad at the other parts. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of help. It's hard for me to point the, the blame at any one person. But I think these two games have illustrated how bad the Blazers are at at several aspects of defense it's not one thing the thing you see i think as teams rein in three-pointers and that's fair but i don't i i think it would be a mischaracterization to say the blazers are a bad perimeter defense team their perimeter defense like in terms of like specifically guarding the three-point line is is bad but it's because they're bad at several aspects of defense they don't control ball handlers they don't rotate and help really well they don't communicate well to switch off the ball or on the ball at a really high level they just are bad at it so the specifics of what the blazers struggle with on defense is sort of all the aspects of it so pointing to one guy or one part i think would be unfair to say they need this thing they need that thing they they need a variety of of better and more versatile defenders they kind of had those last year and they traded him in for to give Zach Collins more room to play, to prioritize Rodney Hood's offensive abilities, um, to get the theoretical shooting that and and in theory at the time defense that that Kent Paysmore would provide for the in the Evan Turner trade. It didn't work out, and now I think what you're seeing is without options of rangier more versatile defenders that the Blazers defense has really just cratered and now they're just a a tr- from being a slightly below average defensive team to being a just a one of the really bad defensive teams in the league and it has cost them they're just uh they were never able to recover those are my thoughts on the team's defense I want to start with the positives of this episode. That's why I led off the show with Nurk Watch. Let's close the show with a little positivity, too. Yusuf Nurkic will be fun for this team regardless. I don't think all hope is lost, even in my natural pessimism. I think the season is likely over. I think the playoffs are likely out of reach. But they got games left. They got an important 
perhaps the most important games left in the schedule, two more against the Memphis Grizzlies. It ain't over yet. They have real flaws. Some of them highlighted this weekend, like triple underlined in yellow highlighter highlighted. But in a lot of ways, this week could be the most rewarding of the Blazers' season. Couple wins. Nurk comes back and looks good. When I'm hitting record on next Sunday evening episode, it feels a lot different. So if you felt like the last 15 minutes or so of this episode were too negative, remember that if there is hope, it's coming over the next seven days. That's going to do it for this episode. While you're uh, listening to NBA podcasts, why not check out Hollinger and Duncan? National show covering the whole league with John Hollinger and Nate Duncan. Also on the Locked On Podcast Network. Just like this show, it's available wherever you get podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. Find all the Locked On Podcast shows there. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.